probably not bad questions to be asking ourselves. I guess for those of us who are a little bit more reflective, we might put that in reverse and we might start to say, let's go back in time a little bit. Where was I five years ago? Where were you five years ago? Back then, maybe you set a course or a, a strategy that got, to, uh, got you to where you are today. And you can ask yourself, was it a good plan? Was it a good plan? Are you happy with the results five years later? And if you knew then what you know now, what little tweaks would you make to your plan? What things would you maybe have done differently? Because here's the thing. We all end up somewhere doing something. Even if it wasn't a part of a plan. Even if you're just a sort of, I'm going to make up every day as it comes. I'm just going to drift through life. The reality is, we all end up somewhere doing something. What if you ended up there on purpose? That's a, that's a good question to ask yourself. What if you ended up there on purpose? Now, this series that we're going to look at in the book of Malachi, we're going to look at the circumstances that Israel got itself into. All right? They decision-made themselves into their own predicament. We're going to discover that as we go along over the next seven weeks. I think maybe like us, and we can relate to this, I think, like us... They found themselves in a mess. And maybe they're wondering, how did we end up in this place? And maybe, is it even possible to get out of this mess? And they're the sorts of questions I know I've asked myself over my almost 50 years of life. Maybe you have asked yourself that question as well. But God doesn't leave them there. He helps them discover a way forward. A place maybe where they want to be, where they desire to be. Maybe it isn't in five years, like a good life coach might ask you. But it was certainly a way forward. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to isolate one aspect of life that we can see in the ancient Israelite experience that I think God deliberately spoke into, not only for their benefit, because the scriptures have been recorded for our benefit as well. We're going to isolate one experience that they had that we can relate to and see what God teaches them. But before we zoom in onto today's passage, and Luke told you already, Malachi, the last book of the Bible, uh, last book of the Old Testament. Right, so find your Old Testament, New Testament, go to the end of your Old Testament, you'll find the book of Malachi. But before we zoom in on today's passage in chapter 1, I think it'd be really good for us to get a bit of an overview of the entire book. So a little video, I'll sit down, goes for seven minutes, helps you get a big picture of the whole book. Let's do that, all right? Good? All right. All right. Okay, we're going to do, at the end of this series, in seven weeks' time, we're going to do a Q&A week. Um, we're going to do a few of these this year. We're going to just trial them. Um, we'll not do a sermon. We'll just do um, a Q&A week, and we're going to call them Table Talk Weeks. 
and we're going to do one at the end of this series. And so what I'd like you to do is today and each of the subsequent weeks that we move through this series, if there's something that we um, look at, read or discuss and you think, yeah, I'd really like to know a bit more about that, I've got a question about that, I really encourage you, um, bring a pen and paper, I'm showing my age, get your phone out, make sure it's on aeroplane mode so you're not distracted by stupid Facebook and then... Use your notes feature, write down the questions that you have over the next seven weeks, okay? And then what I'd like you to do is, if it's on pen and paper, you could um, rip that out when the offering bag comes out with the, you know, 150 bucks that you pop in there. Also put, that's a, that's a joke, all right, sorry. Make it 200. Um, <laughs> You can put in the piece of paper with your question and just pop it in the offering bag if that's the sort of, you're a pen and paper person. If you're a write it down on your notes type of person, um, you can jump on our website, rtcc.org.au, go to the contact feature on there, on the menu, and then you can just write your question in there, all right? That's an easy way, or maybe we'll get a box or something, you can chuck it up in a box, I don't know, we'll do something. Write down your notes, send them in to us, We'll give you more details about how you can do that. And on the eighth week after this series, we're going to do a Q&A. I'll select a few of those questions that I think might be good uh, for us to be able to readdress or that might be similar to each other, and we'll try and do as many of them as we can and sort of just touch on some of the things that you'd like to know about more. Good plan? If it doesn't work out, we won't do it again. All right. Um, so there's, that's our table talk. All right. So let's jump into Malachi chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 1 down to verse 5. For this series, um, probably majoritively, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, the ESV. If it's a little bit different to what you know, I'm going to put it on the screen. You can follow along. So let's read Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say... How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. We're going to pause there for this week. Next week, we're going to finish off the chapter. So if you're following along this series in your small group, that's what we're going to do next week, the rest of the chapter. But let's think about these first five verses today. Now, there is a, a bit of a key to, I think, understanding this text, and it's found in verse 2. All right? It's a statement that God makes, and then it's contrasted with another statement that the people make. And you're going to find that this is a pattern all the way through the book of Malachi. So, so tune into these sort of contrasting statements where God says, hey, this is what I say, and then he'll say, but this is what you say. Right, so that's a pattern we're going to see all the way through the book of Malachi. So if you're an underlining person, that's a great thing to take a note of because you're going to see it again and again. So what is it in this statement that the people say 
contrasted against what God says. Have a look at it in your own Bible, verse 2. Malachi 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Right? There's God's statement. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? It's one of the statements that we love to hear God saying. I've loved you. I love you. Who doesn't like that, right? Most of us love that statement being said, whether it's from a spouse, a prospective spouse, you know, our children. We love, we love it when people say, oh, we love you. I love you. That's great. We all love that. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, and there's the contrast, but, but you say, how have you loved us? It's a bit sort of like in this day and age, we might say, God says, hey, I love you. And the people go, really? Do you? All right. That's the tone of this question. How? How have you loved us? So it's one of the contrasting statements. And what we're going to see is that in this very contrast of ideas that God has loved us and that the people are saying, well, I'm not sure that's true. Right? Prove it. How have you loved us? In that statement, we see the root of ungratefulness. The root of all ungratefulness, which is a failure to recognize what we have. All right? That's the root of all ungratefulness. That's how I would define ungratefulness. A failure to recognize what we already have. And this contrast between what God says and what the people say demonstrates that. So here's one reality. Reality one, God saying, I've loved you. But the second reality is really a perception. The people say, how? Right? It doesn't look like you love us. And that's what I want to focus in on. I think it's a key to helping us understand how this book starts. Right? That conflict between what God says and what the people say is the key to understanding why God goes on to speak the way he does. Really, God doesn't owe us any explanation at all. But he graciously reveals something about how he loves people. So on the one hand, we have an account of reality as explained by God when he says, hey, I've loved you. I've loved you. And on the other hand, we have a perception of that reality as expressed by God's people when they say, well, how? Tell me, how do you love me? And so maybe that's a good place, I think, for us to lift up the mirror of God's word for a little bit and put it up to our own faces for a moment. It's very easy to read Old Testament passages like this and think, oh, those foolish Israelites, right? Maybe we've been asking similar questions of God as you survey the state of your own life. It's not just the ancient Israelites that ask these sorts of questions. We do as well. Maybe you've been asking similar questions. God, how have you loved me? I know that the Bible says that for God so loved the world, right? Or, or God loves everyone. We, we have these concepts in our mind. But when I look at my life and my experience, maybe you've been tempted to ask. Maybe you are asking, Really? Really, God, do you really love me? How? How have you loved me? So before we go any further, without giving any explanation, let me echo God's words to you this morning. 
This is God's statement of reality. The Lord Almighty, the King of heaven, the maker of all things and the giver of breath and life, says to you this morning, I have loved you. I've loved you. And we're about to go into some deep waters in these verses. Right? The unfathomable wisdom and purpose of God. It's deep stuff. I'm not even going to pretend that I can explain God's purposes and choices to anybody. But I am completely confident that all of this that we're about to think about is rooted deeply in the love of God. His perfect love for his children. His perfect love for you. So let's have a, a little bit of a closer look at God's gracious explanation to his people because that's what he does now. right? I have loved you, he says. They say, how have you loved us? And now God graciously responds to them. So here's my first thing that I want you to take note of. And it's that God chose you. This is how God starts to explain his love. And his explanation goes back to an issue of choice. God chose you. This is the crux of God's reasoning behind his love. And it's his sovereign will to choose a people for himself. That's what, and how he explains himself here. And what's really important, we're going to unpack this a little bit, but what's really important to understand here is that this choice that God makes to, to bring a people for himself is made completely independently from their worthiness of that choice. So let's hear God's own words again for a moment to refresh our memories. Verse 2 from Malachi chapter 1. Let's read that from there again. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? God responds now graciously and he says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals in the desert. And then it continues. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, there's a lot of history referred to here in that very short explanation that God makes. Now, to be fair, that history, when God said it to the people in Malachi's day, they all just went, I know exactly what you're talking about, God. That history was very familiar to them. I would imagine it's not so familiar to us. Right? God started to explain his love and straight away he said, Is Esau Jacob's brother? And all the ancient Israelites went, Oh, yes. And we all went, What are you talking about, God? Why are you talking about Esau and Jacob? Why are you talking about loving and hating people for a moment? So let's just sort of backtrack a little bit, do a really brief summary. All right? God's asking the people to recall a time at the foundation of his relationship with him when that was being laid, right? So 1,600 roughly years before Malachi wrote those words down, 
God made a covenant, which is like a binding legal promise. God made a covenant with Abraham. The covenant said, I will bless the entire world through your family. And when he said it, Abram had no family. He was so old, he couldn't even have kids. So was his wife. She was barren. Then through God's miraculous intervention, Abraham fathers Isaac. And then God renews the covenant with Isaac, Abraham's son. The, the covenant passed down through the generation from Abraham to Isaac. Renews the promise. Listen, I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. Then Isaac fathers twin boys. All right, so there's the covenant with Abram. A generation, the covenant renews and it comes to Isaac. Then Isaac fathers twin boys. Jacob and Esau. One of those boys would inherit the blessing of God's covenant and the other wouldn't. Now, how all of that happens is a fascinating study on its own. We do not have time to tell that story. But in the end, Jacob is the child who God continues his covenant with. Both of these boys grew up and individually fathered two great nations in the ancient world. Jacob became the father of the nation of Israel. Esau grew up and fathered the nation of Edom. But what is God's point? What is he trying to root the evidence of his love in? Right? His point is this, and he makes it very clear. God chose Jacob, not Esau. God chose Israel to love, not Edom. God willed and worked to promote and prosper Israel, but he set his face against Edom. Now maybe you're thinking, well, God probably chose Jacob because he was a good guy, right? Except that he wasn't. No offence to any Jacobs in the room. But your namesake was a complete jerk. He was. He was deceptive and manipulating. He was far from anything that might make us think that God would find him acceptable based on his behaviour. And we know that's the case, not only by our own observations of Jacob's life, which you can go back and read through, but because the Spirit of God explicitly tells us that that is the case. Because when the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church in Rome, as a part of building an argument about why we can trust God's word, why, why we can trust him to be true to his word, Paul quotes this exact verse from Malachi chapter 1. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 9. You can go there if you want to. Romans chapter 9 verses 10 and we'll read it down to just verse 13. 
But you'll, you'll hear it, or you'll, you'll see it. Romans 9, starting from verse 10, Paul says this. The Spirit of God says this. But not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older would serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Right? Paul quotes Malachi 1 verse 3. The additional insight we get from Romans, though, is important. Because it tells us that this choice that God made was not based on something that either Jacob or Esau had done to deserve God's choice. All right, it's, I get it. It is a massive subject. Here's the thing I want you to take away from it today, though. We are not going to do a deep dive into predestination or election or anything else, all right? We can bring that up. That might be a question that you want to ask. I'll get Tim to answer that one. All right? <laughs> it is a massive subject. I want to acknowledge that. But here's the thing I want you to take away from what is very clear in God's word. At the very least, we can see this, that God's love towards us is an expression of his grace towards us. Right? Jacob and Esau, Paul says, they weren't even born yet. They hadn't even done anything yet. There was no sense of them saying, I deserve God's choice or I deserve God's love or I deserve God's rejection in any way. God's love towards us is an expression of his grace. He loves us because he chooses to love us. Not because he is obliged to love us. And let's make that individual for a moment. Let's make that singular for a moment. God loves you because he chooses to love you. Not because he is obliged to love you. You can't twist God's arm and say, God, look how lovable I am. You can't do that. We, we just don't have the resources for it. We don't have the willpower for it. We don't have the staying power to do that consistently. So God's love is about his choice to love. Not because he's in a contractual obligation to love you. So here's the key to applying this text this morning. The people of Malachi's day questioned God by saying, How, how have you loved us? They failed to recognise what they already had. God's sovereign choice to love them. In essence, they were ungrateful. God had loved them and they shrugged their shoulders and just went, well, I don't think so. So how do they, and probably on your mind, more importantly, how do we, move from ungratefulness, a failure to recognise what we already have, to gratefulness? How do we move from ungratefulness to gratefulness? The simple answer, not the easy answer, but the simple answer is this. 
by simply acknowledging that God chose to love us. And recognizing that that choice was made completely independent of whether or not we deserved it or not. That's how we start to move from ungratefulness towards gratefulness in our life with God. So often we are so introspective as we look in the mirror of our life and just think, here are all the ways that I have failed you, God. Let me count them. (laughs) They're easy. You couldn't love me. You shouldn't love me. I wouldn't love me. Why would anyone? We, we go on. We're filled with these sorts of questions, right? But here's the thing. We start to move from ungratefulness towards gratefulness when we realize that God's love towards us is not dependent on your ability to deserve it. He chose to love you. He chose to love you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 Paul, again writing to a different church, says this. To them, and he's talking about the saints. And even that, we start thinking saints, and you're like, oh, he's talking about somebody else, not me. That's not how the Bible uses the word saint. He's talking about you there. If you know Christ, you've been redeemed by him. Welcome to the saint club. To them, the saints, that's you and me, God chose... To make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God chose to make known how great amongst the Gentiles is this mystery. Right? That's God's choice. He saw you and loved you. He chose to do that. God's choice to love you is about revealing his glory in you. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2 says this, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labour of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. God's love expressed through his choice is the catalyst for joyful thanksgiving. That's how we move towards a life of gratefulness. When Paul wrote a second letter to that same church, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Why? We always need to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So what's the takeaway as we we wrap this up? Here's what I want you to take away from this as we begin this series in the book of Malachi. First and foremost, I want you to hear not what I'm saying, but what God has said to you this morning. And that is, I love you. I love you. 
If you find that hard to believe this morning, if you look at your life and think, why? Why, God? What, what is there to love? Or you're sitting here thinking this morning, I must be such a disappointment to him. And then I want you to take comfort. That's your second takeaway. The first was God uttering over you. I've loved you. I've loved you. Second takeaway is take comfort. God loves you because he chooses to. Not because you deserved it. Not because you won him over. Not because you convinced him. But because God is interested in his glory being the greatest thing in this world. And his glory is demonstrated when he can take a person, whether they deserve it or not, whether they've earned it or not, whether they've convinced others or not, and he says, I love you because I choose to. He chooses to love you this morning because it makes his glory even more glorious. What's our response? Our response is to simply stand amazed, right? Because we know ourselves. You look in the mirror just like I do. You see the, the stains of ugliness that can feel so embedded in our life and behaviour. You see the things that you've spent a lifetime hiding from others. And we think, how could you love us, God? And he says, because I choose to. Because I choose to. So our response is to simply stand amazed in thanksgiving. And to offer then our lives in gratitude as an act of worship. That's the takeaway. God has loved you. Especially this morning as you sit there just thinking, I don't know why. How, how could you, God? You know. And he embraces you this morning. And he says, my child, I love you because I choose to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word that you sent through your prophet Malachi. Thank you for his faithfulness in uttering these words to his people. But we thank you, Spirit, for preserving them for us, that we might hear those precious words of our Father also. I have loved you. And Lord, as we grapple with our own insecurities, as we grapple with our own failures or our own mistakes or our own sin, Lord, will you hear, allow us to hear this morning, not only I have loved you, but I have loved you because I choose to. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace towards us, for the mercy that you've extended to us, to each person in this room made available 
We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. We don't have to twist your arm that you have offered yourself graciously to us in love because you choose to. Help us to live in the gratefulness of that reality. Not only in the week ahead, but all the the others that follow it. For your sake and for your glory. Amen.